Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I have a question to begin with this afternoon, this morning, not this afternoon, uh, getting ahead of myself. Um, and that is, if you were asked, when your opinion, what is it that you would say defines you as a Christian, to the rest of the world. How would they know that you're a Christian? What is that particular thing to you? What comes to mind uh, when you think about that? I'm going to give you a second. I'm, obviously, I'm not asking for your answers. I want you to think about it in your head. Give you a few seconds. So you might think of, well, I've been immersed. I've been baptized. That was an obvious display of my submission to Christ. Therefore, that is the thing. That is the one thing that identifies me to God, to the church, to the rest of the world, that I'm His disciple. Or you might think, what we do in the assembly. I was asking Mark earlier, I said, what, what's the order of services? And he says, what's well, the scripture way? And I said to him, every church says that when I ask him that question, it's the scripture way. And none of the churches do it exactly the same. So who's right? But we do it right, right? So that identifies us. We have a lively assembly. We have good, solid teaching. We teach truth. We do things right. That's what identifies us to the rest of the world that we are disciples of Christ. Maybe you think some things like that. Maybe that's what passed through your head. I want to set the scene in John chapter 13. Here his disciples are meeting with Jesus and they are sitting at his feet. They are eating dinner. They, he had washed their feet. It was a very interesting scenario that they had gone through. But Jesus says to them, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to you, uh, to the Jews, where I am, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So here's what he's saying. I'm letting you guys know, as I told the, the rest of the Jews, I'm not going to be around for much longer. And where I'm going, you can't go with me. So now I say to you, now if you're one of the twelve and you're sitting in the room and he says, I'm going away, and he's been teaching you for about three years, he says, I'm going away, I'm going to leave it to you. So now I say to you, what are you going to do? You're going to plug your ears and say, oh, la, 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 I'm not listening anymore. You are going to sit up. You're going to pay attention. What does Jesus have to say to me right before he goes? What's the last thing he's going to teach me? I need to listen to this because this is why he's telling me. So we're going to really pay attention. So he says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And he says, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus is giving them a new command. What does that mean? It's a new command. You can go all the way back in the Old Testament, and we can see that, that loving our neighbor was not a new command. That was in the Old Testament. That's not what was new about it. Matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning, what was, what was it that Cain violated? Loving his brother. That's what he violated. That's what he did in murder. So that, that was the root cause. So you can go all the way back to the beginning and, and to know that 
Loving one another is not something new. What was different? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That's what's different. What Jesus did, the way that he loved, that is what was different. And he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Is immersion right? Absolutely. Is doing the assembly and meeting together and doing that appropriately and correctly and with all that we have, is that right? Absolutely. But that's not what identifies you as a Christian. What identifies each one of us as a Christian is whether or not we love like Jesus loved and that we love one another like Jesus loved us. That's the difference. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look at how Jesus loved us. And we want to emulate His attitude because this isn't about necessarily about what he about what he did okay now part of it obviously is about what he did but this is not talking about loving one another just loving that's not coming out the way i want it to this is about jesus loving us in the manner in which he loved us and so how we ought to emulate that manner in which he loved i hope that that Helps make sense. We're going to examine the attitude that Jesus displayed in loving us so that we can learn how to better love one another. In John chapter 2, this is a very interesting passage to me. John chapter 2 and verse 23 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man. For he knew what was in man. Okay, so here John is writing about Jesus and about as he how he's going to go out and to commit himself to people. And this is very early in his ministry, and he wasn't willing to quite commit to go all the way. Why? Because he knew what was in man. <coughs> Eventually, he would fully commit himself and fully give himself to to uh, the mankind. But in this case, he didn't do it just yet because he knew what was in man. He knew what man would do. That tells us something about the love of Christ. He knows who we are. He knows all of us. And he loves us anyway. So he loves us understandingly, knowing full well what we are, what we're capable of, and what we do, I've probably shared something like this before, but Lori would uh, certainly agree with what I'm about to say. Not that she would disagree with the rest, but she'll really agree with this. <clears throat> I'm a terrible driver. Uh, not in the sense that I, I, I'm not a reckless driver. I'm really the other way. Uh, if you're reckless with me, I'm going to get pretty upset. If you don't stay in your lane, if you don't go fast in the left lane, get on, get going, you know, that, and there's a, a part of it in Tulsa, I don't know if it's a problem here, but really in Tulsa, that you're driving down the road and all of the person that's coming out on the side road, they act like you're not even there and they just pull out right in front of you. And I get aggravated where he just rolled her eyes because she knows that aggravated is too too uh, 
light of a term. What I want in those situations when people aren't doing what they're supposed to do is I want judgment. I want justice. I want for them to have to pay. And so if the cops aren't around to do it, my thinking is I've got to be the one. I've got to go by and I've got to point at them and let them know I've really tried to get better. But could you imagine if you're Jesus and he knows everything that you've thought? Jesus was willing to leave heaven, we'll talk about that later, and to come to earth and be around that all the time. And he did it anyway. He knew what was in man. He knew what we would do. He, he saw sin in his face every day. And instead of demanding judgment, he granted mercy. He knew the immorality of the woman that was brought in adultery and refused to condemn her. He knew the impurity of Mary when she poured out the ointment on his feet, but he offered her story as a memorial. He knew the fear that caused Peter to deny him, but he encouraged him anyway. And he knew the greed that possessed Judas to betray him, and he communed with him anyway. He knows who we are. Hebrews 4, in verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He knows you too. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. Things that you've done, things that you thought, things that you said. He understands you. And he loves you. He loves you anyway. <clears throat> we ought to fall down on our knees. That would be wonderful. Thank you. We ought to fall down on our knees and praise God and thank God that he loves us in spite of our failures. Because he knows every one of them. He understands you better than you do. And he loves you anyway. Maybe that's close. So in Romans chapter 15, we read, Therefore, receive one another. If we're going to love like Jesus, we need to love understandingly. <clears throat> he says, Therefore, receive one another as Christ also received us. So he loves understandingly. So what he expects us to do is to also love understandingly. We're going to reference 1 Corinthians 13 quite a bit through this. But in verse 7, he says he bears all things. Later on, he says he endures all things. That's what love does. That yes, I know that you're going to fail me at times. And I'm going to fail you. And so we love understanding, knowing that we're going to fail one another at times. Do we love our brothers and sisters in spite of our failures? In spite of times that even you have wronged me or I have wronged you, you love me anyway. Because we've all wronged Jesus. And he loved us anyway. Do we love them even though they treat us in a way that we think is disrespectful or wrong? That's the point. That's the way Jesus loves. And so he expects us to love that same way. And that's what will show our love or show ourselves to be a disciple to the rest of the world. But that Jesus loves understandingly also leads right into the next part. Because you can't have him loving understandingly without loving also forgivingly. In Luke chapter 
can't hardly read that. Luke chapter 23, sorry about that. It says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garment <coughs> and cast lots. I know we use this passage probably quite a bit, particularly when, we, when it comes to uh, communion. For whom was Jesus asking for forgiveness? You ever thought about that? <clears throat> Who were the ones that were standing there around the cross? It was the people that said crucify him. It was the people that made fun of him. The people that spit on him. The people that beat him. The people that made him naked. That shoved the crown of thorns on his head and drove the nails in his hands. And he said, forgive them. That's how Jesus loves forgiving me. Those who delivered him to be crucified. But Isaiah 53 and verse 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. It wasn't the nails. It was his forgiveness through love. That's what it was. This prayer was for you too that he offered. Because you were just as guilty as if you had been there and drove the nails in his hands. To be the one yelling out to crucify him. Because ultimately it's our sins that put him there. And he did that for what? So you can be forgiven. So the prayer was for you too. That's how Jesus loves. He loves forgivingly. And so as Christ has forgiven us, or has forgiven you, as it says there in Colossians chapter 3, as Christ has forgiven you, what does he say? You then forgive others. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love suffers long. Sometimes we have to suffer long for somebody that we love. Sometimes they're going to do something that's going to upset us, that's going to wrong us. And in those cases, we need to suffer. And we need to be willing to forgive them. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Think about what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24, he says, Before you bring the gift to the altar, if you have a problem with your brother, you go seek re reconciliation with your brother. If you know that, that you have done something wrong, what's more important to, the, to, to God, to Christ, the worship or the relationship? And he makes it very clear, it's the relationship. He tells us how to do that in Matthew chapter 18, that if I'm the one that's offended, that I should go to that person. But the, the whole, either, whichever one it is, whether I'm the guilty party or whether I'm the offended, the relationship is more important than worship. And we need to get that in our mind. If we, and think about, if we make this our practice here at South Canadian Valley Church of Christ, if that is your practice here, Think about what that would do for everyone here. What tremendous difference it would make with our attitude towards one another when we come and worship. 
when we come together and assemble. Think about the effect on it on us that it would have when we admonish one another in song. When we intercede for one another in prayer. When we study God's word together. When we commune in fellowship with one another. And we contribute to one another's needs. See, it's forgiveness that allows us to do that. It allows us to have that kind of relationship. The, the one that says, I'm vulnerable and I've done things wrong against you. Will you be willing to forgive me? And we all have that spirit of forgiveness that we're willing to be vulnerable and we're willing to forgive. That will bring us together. Because there's not a person in this room that does not have faults. And we all know it. <laughs> I know that you have faults. And I don't have to know you to know that. And you know that about me. And some of you don't know me. But you know that I have faults. So we've got to be willing to work together understanding the fact that we're going to have faults. And when that fault is specifically against me, that I've got to be willing to forgive. Like Jesus forgave. Like Jesus understands and like Jesus forgives. <coughs> we place a great deal of importance on the assembly. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't in the way that we worship. But what's more important is that we're reconciled with our brothers and sisters. That we have that true, genuine, real relationship with one another. That we are willing to forgive quickly. And I want to ask you this. I want you to think about this. Can we really worship God? Can we really praise Him? Can we really give Him our all if I'm harboring resentment towards His children or one of His children? He cares about that child just as much as He cares about you. You know, one of the worst things you could do uh, to a mama is to go after one of her children. And you know what? That's true of any child. That's true of the brother against the brother. And the sister against the sister, or the brother against the sister, vice versa. Mom doesn't like to hear the kids fighting and hurting one another. How do you think God feels when we do it? He wants us to be willing to forgive and to forgive quickly. Forgiveness is not easy to do. I know that. <clears throat> It also wasn't easy for Jesus to do as he hung on the cross. That's what it took. It wasn't easy, but he did it. It's not easy to initiate. It's not even always easy to accept. But when he, that kind of love will create that kind of environment where we're, it's quick, we're quick to forgive. So Jesus loving understandingly and loving forgivingly could not happen without this. In Philippians chapter 2, let, let me back up a little bit. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2, beginning there in verse 3. <clears throat> I don't have that up on the board, so, or screen, I guess. Just went a little old school. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 3, says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also... In Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we want to analyze this for just a few minutes. We want to pay particular attention to what it says about Jesus there in verses 6 and 7. The New King James puts it this way, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. What we see through this is how Jesus loves selflessly. And you can't love selflessly, or if you love selflessly, that's when you love understandingly and you love forgivingly, because it's not about you. And certainly what Jesus is showing us here is it wasn't about him. That was the point, is that it wasn't about him. Now, in the New King James, it says that he didn't consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. <clears throat> well, what does that mean? Well, a few of you have, in this room, have played football with me before. Now, if I said that I was the greatest football player ever, that ever walked the earth, Chris has seen me play, he would know that that's not true. Craig has seen me play and know that's not true. You guys can look at me and know that that's probably not true. Okay? But even when I was in the best shape of my life, I, I wasn't the best player ever. So for me to claim to be the greatest ever would be taking something away. It would be robbery to the actual greatest player that ever played. It would be <clears throat> minimizing, really, the accomplishment that, in my opinion, Barry Sanders. <laughs> you might say Adrian Peterson, from, since we're here where we are. It doesn't really matter. It really is Barry. But it would be robbery for me to say that I was better to him because I would be minimizing that. That's the same thing that it's saying about Jesus here. It didn't take anything away. He wasn't robbing from God to claim deity. He was deity. But he took upon himself the form of a bondservant. He let that go in a sense. Now I want to look at it, the same passage, but a little differently as the New American Standard 95 puts it. <coughs> it says, Who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and may, being made in a likeness of men. And now, this sounds like it's contradictory. But really, looking at both passages helps us, or both versions, help us to understand the fullness of what he's saying. It wasn't robbery. That's true. That's true of the way that it says it. Now, he, here it says he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is that he had to let that go. He had to take that form, form of godliness, form of a God, and he had to empty himself of that to become human so that he could be the, in the form of a bondservant. He had to empty himself of the fullness of the divine. That's what he's saying. That he couldn't come in the form of God. Remember what God said to Moses? No man can see my face and live. If Jesus was not veiled in humanity, no one would have lived seeing Jesus. So he had to empty himself of that. He had to leave heaven and that form of being God and empty himself of that to become man and become man so that he could die. That was a selfless act. 
because this is the reason he did it. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What Jesus did is he became poor so that you could become rich. He gave up heaven so that you could go to heaven. He gave up what he had so that you could have what he has. That is a selfless act. He loves selflessly. And so in response to that, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3, as we read earlier, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He, you are told in the same that passage, and in that passage, you are told not to glory in self, not to you are told to devalue yourself. You are told to value others and to seek others' interests above your own. And Paul illustrates how you ought to act with how Jesus did. That he did give up his glory. That he humbled himself. He devalued himself. That he valued others more. And that's what humility means, is to value others more. And he obeyed to the point of death. Why? Because that's what was best for you. So Jesus loves selflessly. And so if we're going to love one another as he has loved us, we need to love one another selflessly. If we're to wear the badge of discipleship and expect the whole world to believe that we are our profession of that discipleship, then we must love one another in this way. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not seek its own. Love is not selfish. It's the opposite. And there was not a better example of selflessness than with Jesus. John chapter 15 and verse 12 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus was the greatest expression of a selfless love because he was willing to lay down his life for his friends. Now, you may never be called on to love your brother that way. That it would actually cost you your life to do so. That it would require you laying down your life for your brother or sister. All of you is probably thinking, well, if it came to that, I'd do it. Well, it's really easy to say when it's hypothetical. It's really easy to say when we're not in that moment. And that moment may be coming sooner rather than later. Our current climate and conditions and the way that the world is going, our life might be required and I might be asked to give my life for someone else. So that may happen, but probably not. So what does this tell us? What about the little sacrifices? What about just getting off the couch? That's what he's asking us to do, is to value others more than I value myself. And at times when I come home and I'm tired from work and all I want to do is relax and just decompress and be by myself and all those things, all those things are sometimes okay. But if your brother calls 
and he's stranded on the side of the road with a flat tire and he has no way to get anywhere and he needs you, then you need to step up and go because that's loving selflessly. Or there's times when you actually have to make a sacrifice. You have to make a decision. Do I do that or this? Do I go to this funeral over here? Do I go on vacation over here? Those are not easy. We planned that vacation. It's been in the books for a year. All those kinds of things, but I'm needed over here. That's where I need to be. Greater love is no one than this, than one who lays down his life for his friends. That's what it means, folks. It's not necessarily getting hung on the cross for somebody else. could mean that. But it's about the little things, the little sacrifices, the everyday type of sacrifices that we need to be making. Now, I could spend all day <coughs> talking about how specific ways in which Jesus loved. I could, be, I could talk about how, how we're to bear one another's burdens because he bore our burdens, that we are to, uh, <coughs> to serve one another because he served us, that we, we ought to help heal one another because he healed us, all those different things. But I, it's really about an, an attitude, an attitude of understanding, of grace, and of benevolence and selflessness that he embodied because of his love for us. That's what this is about. This is the one thing. And I don't know of any other that I've read in Scripture, by the way, that says this. This is the one thing that will identify us with the, to the world, that we're his disciples, is that we love one another as he has loved us. <clears throat> with the dispositions of compassion and grace and benevolence. I want you to see something about the early church. In Acts 2 and verse 46, it says, So they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their, their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This is exactly what they were doing. They were showing the love of Christ to one another. They were a true, genuine family, a community, and they cared for one another. And they showed it by the way that they treated each other. And notice what happens later on in the chapter in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. They identified themselves to the rest of the world that they were disciples of Jesus Christ. How? By the way they treated one another. May the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ be the be the city that's set on a hill because of the way you love one another. Because you have the attitude of Jesus towards one another. We all know we're going to make mistakes. Be quick to forgive. And just work with one another. And serve one another. And be willing to put the other person more valuable than you put yourself. That's what it's going to take. The lesson is yours. If there's something in your life that's going on and you've not allowed the congregation here, this family, to support you and to help you, this is the time to be vulnerable. This is the time to open yourself up, to avail yourself so that they can know specifically how to pray for you. They can know specifically the steps that they can take to help you get through that. We need to start being that kind of a family. And if the church here can help you in that way, please let us know by coming forward and sitting on the front as we stand and as we sing.
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.